Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord. We have a very special super saint to share with you today, St. Catherine of Bologna. She was born in Bologna, Italy, on Our Lady's birthday, September the 8th, 1413. Her father, a member of the nobility of Ferrara, was also a highly respected lawyer and lecturer at the famous University of Bologna. Her mother, also of nobility, was very pious and devoted herself to the enrichment of her child's soul. As her father was in the service of the Marquis of Ferrara, the little family moved there from Bologna. Catherine's piety came to the attention of the Marquis, who chose her to be a lady-in-waiting to his daughter Margaret. A very bright girl, Catherine mastered all her studies, excelling in grammar, literature, poetry, and arithmetic, as well as in painting and music. Had she not chosen the relig religious life, she would have most probably been lauded as an accomplished musician or a highly acclaimed painter. An, an education which included, included Latin would enable her to write the most profound poetry, rivaling that of any of the great poets of her day, print her breviary in her own hand, and with her talent as a painter, beautifully illustrated. However, the hounds of heaven pursued her from an early age, leading her to Holy Scripture and the work of the early church fathers. Once her mind and heart belonged to the Lord, she totally abandoned herself to him and his plan for her. This was important, for Catherine would soon be stripped of all earthly consolation as her father went to the Father in heaven and her mother remarried, and finally her closest friend Margaret left for Rimini. Catherine chose to remain in Ferrara. With her father's passing, Catherine became a wealthy heiress and consequently the target of friends and family who either wanted to marry her or knew some fine young man who did. But age 14, she had made the commitment to love Jesus faithfully to the exclusion of all others forever. So, saying goodbye to the world, she entered a fairly new religious community made up of pious women who followed the Augustinian rule. Years later, it became a Franciscan community. For what seemed an endless five years, from ages 15 to 20, the Prince of Darkness relentlessly attacked Catherine. In her book, The Seven Spiritual Arms, our future saint wrote of battles waged and won and some near lost. She dug into the horror of those years and wrote with pain remembered so that the novices under her care would be forewarned and would not fall prey to the father of lies. She shared her fears. She shared her tears. Sometimes they were tears of blood like her savior before her. In the end, she vanquished the enemy. The cross triumphed. God was the victor. She had glorious wounds sustained in battle to remind her always and to pass on that truth that Satan is alive and never sleeps, but also that God is always nearby and we are not alone. Because of the power of obedience and the destruction caused by one act of disobedience, Satan attacked Catherine mercilessly. He put doubts in her mind about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. These doubts were fed to her by the evil one who would speak to her from the cross, who would appear to her as Mother Mary and fill her head with confusion. 
And it was only when in the evening she started to have all these doubts did she realize that the Lord is the Lord of peace, not of confusion. And so she began to realize that it was the devil himself who was speaking to her. Our Lord then spoke softly to her soul and clarified all her doubts, letting her know that he is truly present in the Eucharist. But isn't this a beautiful gift for us? How many of us at some time in our life have had a doubt as to the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? We've been going through this for years about many people, especially priests, who have had doubts about the real presence of the Eucharist. And these doubts, these fears, are fanned by others who don't believe, also peer pressure. And yet here is a saint, one of our precious saints, who had doubts that our Lord appeared to Jesus, appeared to her, that our Lord Jesus was truly present in the Eucharist. But when she received Holy Communion, she felt and tasted the sweetest, purest flesh of the Immaculate Lamb, Christ Jesus. In thanksgiving for the Lord confounding the enemy with the miracle of the Eucharist, Catherine became an advocate for frequent communion before this became an accepted practice of the church. Whom the Lord loves, he reproves, and he chastises the son he favors. Our Lord never left Catherine alone, lest she forget God gave her a glimpse of the final judgment during one of her ecstasies. This burned such an image on her spirit, she developed an intense repulsion for even her smallest transgressions, seeing each and every imperfection as an ugly scar on her soul. After the death of her foundress, Catherine and the other nuns faced hard times. They were about to be closed down when, through the generosity of the Marquis Niccolo III, they were able to buy some time. But sadly, the financial crisis became critical, and it looked as if their worst nightmare had become a reality. At the same time, Catherine was being barraged by well-meaning friends to ask the Pope to release her from her religious vows. She prayed, crying out to heaven for help against these temptations which were flooding her soul. The Lord answered her sweet bride, assuring her that it was his wish that she remain in the monastery and not be afraid. Things would get better. Catherine became the doorkeeper. She took this very seriously and would interrupt her work and even her prayer time to answer the many visitors who rang the bell. There was a pilgrim who came frequently to the door begging for alms. To repay Catherine's generosity, he left her a small bowl that he said the Blessed Mother had used to satisfy her son's thirst. Catherine treasured this relic with great devotion. She thought the pilgrim was just leaving it with her for safekeeping and that he would most certainly return to retrieve it. But he never came back. Later on in her life, St. Joseph appeared to our saint and informed her it was he to whom she had been so generous. Our Lord, tremendously pleased with the way Catherine handled all her trials, began to bestow upon her many gifts. Conversions came about. On May 19, 1451, the day that St. Bernardine of Siena was being canonized in Rome, Catherine was praying that all who attended the glorious occasion would receive special blessings. All of a sudden, she went into ecstasy, and before her, 
was her guardian angel. He swooped her up and transported her mystically to the canonization. In the midst of the excitement of this great moment, Catherine did not think of herself, but her heart became filled with her brother who had allowed Satan to take over in his life. She begged the newly acclaimed saint to intercede for his conversion. Her petition was granted. Her brother abandoned his sinful ways, turned to God, and lived a holy, virtuous life until he went to his e eternal rest. Catherine loved to take on the lowliest chores. One that she was particularly fond of was kneading and making bread. One day she had just finished placing the bread in the oven when the bell sounded for prayers. Always obedient, Catherine made the sign of the cross over each of the loaves and rushed into the chapel, leaving the bread baking. When she was able to return to the kitchen hours later, she was sure the bread had burned. To the contrary, the room was filled with the most delightful aroma. When she opened the oven, she discovered the loaves had, only, had not only not burned, but were a lovely honey color. The nuns commented that the bread was the most delicious she had ever baked. This became known as the bread of obedience. It reminds us of Mother Mary, who obeyed, obeyed, and in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the bread of life, was born. Like St. Teresa of Avila, Catherine found Jesus everywhere, even among the pots and pans. She never lost an opportunity to pray, meditate, and contemplate the Lord and, and His goodness. Even in her varied duties, she found God, making every task a prayer. Catherine was totally happy with her humble assignments. God had different plans for her. She was elected mistress of novices. She protested that she was not capable or worthy of such an awesome responsibility, but she obeyed. She taught the novices, not only by word, but by example, how to live a life of Christian meekness through humility, charity, and obedience. An act of humility which greatly touched them was her insistence they correct any fault which they might perceive in her. God is the God of order and balance. As Catherine was being besieged by attacks from the Prince of Darkness, God was granting her heavenly visions, ecstasies, and special favors, such as the gift of prophecy. There was a beautiful crucifix in Catherine's cell. One Friday, she was kneeling before it, weeping, recalling our Lord's passion on Golgotha when Jesus spoke to her. He revealed his pain on the cross, the bitter and heart-rending affliction he suffered. Was he talking of the bitter taste of his children's unfaithfulness and rejection, more bitter than the gall that was offered him to drink? Was he speaking of his heart being spiritually pierced before it was struck by the centurion's sword, by those who had just stood by apathetically and did nothing? But, he said mournfully, there were no blows, no wounds, so painful as those he endured watching his mother suffer at the foot of the cross. He thanked Catherine for sharing his cross by meditating on his passion and said he would reward her for all her efforts to spread this devotion to others. Another time on Christmas Eve, instead of joyful anticipation, Catherine was suffering the worst of trials. 
she felt all alone, that Jesus was withholding his divine love and consolation from her. She had been weeping day and night for days. Catherine asked her abbess permission to keep vigil before the Blessed Sacrament. She asked permission to recite 1,000 Hail Marys in honor of her consola, the Mother of God. St. Catherine had a tremendous devotion to the child Jesus. She had a vision of Our Lady where our Blessed Mother was holding Jesus in her arms. She held out the baby Jesus to Catherine, and he, in turn, embraced Catherine. Catherine not only printed all of the breviary by hand, she also painted the miniatures that are in the breviary. Every other page has the signature of Jesus on it. She was very, very artistic. She was so extremely talented, she also painted the image of the baby Jesus, made and decorated its clothes. Now, since Catherine was born in Bologna, of a mother who was of the nobility of Bologna, the citizens insisted there be a house in their city of these pious cloistered nuns with Catherine as abbess. Before long, Catherine and the nuns had to leave the monastery in Ferrara and the villages they loved. They departed in the dead of night as it was too painful to say goodbye. But they soon discovered the sides of the roads were lined with people lighting their way with torches. The heartbroken citizens of Ferrara had discovered their religious were leaving, and they would not let them go without their seeing them off. They, they tearfully waved goodbye. But in Bologna, the streets were already alive with townsfolk rejoicing, singing, Blessed is she who comes in the name of the Lord. The spirit of humility, obedience, poverty, and joy filled the new monastery. Vocations grew as the holiness of St. Catherine and her nuns became known throughout Italy, it became necessary to enlarge the monastery to accommodate all the new entries. Catherine worked to make the enclosure a sacred one, filled with nuns practicing a life of true holiness. Catherine lived even more what she taught by who she was rather than by what she said. She was in love with her God, and at times she would become so deeply enraptured in the vision before her of her God, the nuns had a difficult time bringing her back to reality. Catherine and the nuns prayed not only for their salvation, but did penance and mortification for the atonement of sins and crimes committed against the Lord. Through prayer comes holiness, and through holiness comes miracles. The people of Bologna had been correct. With the nuns, they were blessed. Miracles started to happen in the monastery of Bologna. One of them had to do with one of the nuns who was working in the orchard, hoeing the soil and clearing the weeds. Chopping away at the high grass a little distractedly, the sickle struck her right foot and severed it from the, her leg with one blow. Hearing her screaming in agony, the nuns ran to see what was wrong. When St. Catherine arrived, she immediately began to pray to our Lord to have mercy on her daughter. And with that, she made the sign of the cross on the severed foot and attached it to the rest of the leg. There was not the smallest sign an accident had happened. The leg was as good as before the accident. After the crisis, Catherine told the young sister to care for that foot as if it were Catherine's property. 
Now, Catherine did not take quality time away from her commitments to write her treatise, The Seven Spiritual Arms. She performed all her duties faithfully and then snatched time in the daytime amid many interruptions and countless distractions and in the evening after prayers had been faithfully said. As mistress of novices and as abbess, her daughters came first. She wrote the treatise out of a strict obedience to a confessor, begging it to be kept from the other sisters while she was alive. A wish was that it be read after her death and then only for aiding the novices in formation. While still in the monastery at Ferrara, she had stitched the book between the leather covers of her chair, trusting it would be safely hidden, <laughs> hidden there. But one of the nuns found it one day and showed it to the other sisters. That done, Catherine burned the book. But God stepped in and ordered her to write it again. This time, however, stubborn Italian and soldier of Christ, she was determined to keep this one hidden during her lifetime. Therefore, when she moved to the monastery in Bologna, she hid it in her mattress where it would be safely concealed from inquisitive eyes. As she was dying, she handed it over to her confessor with the wish, upon her death, a copy be sent to the monastery in Ferrara and the original left in Bologna. Her knowledge of Latin shines in her poem, Rosarium. She ends her meditations on the 15 mysteries of the rosary with these very tender, very loving words to the one she loves and who loves her. I wear myself out in tears when I think of the day I will meet you. Catherine lovingly portrayed Mother Mary with the baby Jesus. Was she remembering that time when the Blessed Mother placed the infant Jesus in her arms? Catherine's education included playing an instrument. Among her relics was the violetta, or little violin, that the saint played often. Catherine began her final way of the cross. A fragile constitution compounded by fasting and penance for the atonement of the sins of the world, Catherine prepared the sisters for her final journey. Burning up with a raging high fever, she asked that her bed be moved to the middle of the nun's dormitory, where she could give the sisters her last spiritual direction. She was joyfully looking forward to seeing the beatific vision of her spouse in paradise. Her long wait was about to be over, but she did not count on the prayers of her sisters. One of them, 15-year-old Sister Mary Magdalene Rose, was assigned to Catherine, who was now bedridden. One day, after the young sister had washed Mother Catherine's feet, she was so overcome with love and devotion toward her abbess, she bent down and kissed them. The sisters already looked upon Catherine as a saint. Considering the youthful innocence of the young sister, Catherine gently scolded her and forbid her under the vow of, of obedience ever to do that again. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the little novice responded, My dearest mother, such is the celestial scene that radiates from those feet that I felt compelled to kiss them. However, if at the present you forbid me to do so, you will never prevent people after your death from all over the world reverently kneeling and kissing your feet. This foretelling of the veneration of the saint would be fulfilled and continue for the next five centuries. Catherine was getting weaker and weaker. Believing this was the end, the nuns called for a priest who brought the last sacraments of the church. They were all around her bed crying and praying. She had a vision of our Lord Jesus. He was seated on a throne. 
there was an angel with him and the angel was playing the violin and singing to the accompaniment of the violetta, his glory will radiate on you. Catherine said that the music was so sweet she felt as if her soul would soar out of her body. The angel shot an arrow into her heart mystically, and she had the same transverberation of the heart as St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, Gemma Galgani, and Padre Pio. From his throne, Jesus stretched out his arm and drew her close and explained the full meaning of the angel's message. He told her she was supposed to have died this last illness, but because of the nun's prayers, especially one of them, she had been spared a little while longer. She, no, she then said to the rejoicing nuns, May the Lord forgive her who through her prayers has still kept me in this world. She asked for the violetta, and raising herself, she began to play the little violin. It was February the 25th, the first Friday in Lent. Catherine called her nuns and gently told them she was about to leave them for her much-awaited journey to her Lord and spouse. She talked to them for three hours, going on about heaven and how the heavenly family was making a place for her. No one could have imagined the excruciating pain she was experiencing, her head pounding. She had lost a lot of blood and high fevers racked her poor body. Yet she was leaving them with a mission to carry on faithfully the rule of their mother Claire, to love one another as sisters and to do God's will. She assured them that if they and those who followed were faithful to this promise, she would protect them now and forever. She reminded them to revere their mother vicar. During her last week, she confessed often. Each time, the sacrament of mercy filled her face with more and more joy and peace. She handed her treatise on the seven spiritual arms over to her confessor. Then turning towards the sisters, she asked forgiveness for the times she had failed them and pardon for any hurts she may have caused them. She lapsed into agony, sharing her Savior's last hours. She turned toward the weeping sisters, her eyes sparkling because she was going to her spouse, yet sad because she was leaving them. She whispered the holy name of Jesus three times for each person of the Blessed Trinity and said no more. Our precious St. Catherine passed away gently with her Savior, her mother Mary, and the whole heavenly army of angels there to escort her home. Catherine was not yet 50 years old. Miracles began to happen immediately. When the nuns placed her body before the Blessed Sacrament, she bowed her head. She was worshiping, even in death, that Lord who had been her total life. The Eucharist had always been her Lord truly present, and not even the angel of death could keep her from adoring him. While she was with them in the convent in repose, she looked so beautiful it was hard to believe she was dead. The sisters took turns kneeling at the tomb, guarding it and praying. A sweet perfume rose from the grave, filling the air with a haunting, delightful fragrance. In obedience to the old Franciscan rule, Catherine was buried in the ground without a coffin. Oh, but the sisters could not bear having their beloved mother placed in the ground without special honors. So they asked for permission to exhume the body and place her in a coffin befitting their abbess and then to bury her again. They opened the grave. To their sorrow, they discovered that the wooden plank pl placed over the body to protect it had broken under the weight of the earth, soaked by days of pouring rain. The plank had smashed Catherine's face 
and had caused other wounds that were now bleeding. They lifted the body tenderly from the grave and carried her to the cloister. They prayed beside the saint for days. Her face resumed its former loveliness. The wounds on her body healed and returned to normal. And if that was not enough, rigor mortis had not set in. She was as supple as the day she had breathed her last. Now the fastest way for a body to decompose is in water. And yet Catherine had been soaked in water and her body was still incorrupt. Also, that same sweet fragrance filled the monastery. The nuns could not bury the body. Every time they tried to carry her to the grave, a mysterious force shoved them back, propelling them to the choir. They took this as a sign that Catherine was to be placed close to the altar of the Blessed Sacrament, her Lord whom she adored. Now the Church does not determine the sainthood of one for whom the cause for beatification or canonization is open based on the gifts they received during their lifetime, but rather the virtuous life they lived according to their vocation. However, two miracles are required which come about through the sole intervention of the, of the one whose cause is open after he or she is dead. Miracles during one's lifetime do not count. Now in Catherine's case, miracles started to happen at once. The nuns at the monastery were the first to receive God's mercy through her intercession. Just as a city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, the news of God's special grace and miracles cannot be hidden. And so it was with our saint. Word got out and soon people from all walks of life, rich and poor, prince and peasant, came first from all parts of Italy and then from abroad to obtain special graces from God and miraculous healings through the intercession of Catherine. Perhaps one of the greatest miracles is the incorrupt body of our saint seated on a regal throne in a chapel to the left of the main altar in the church of Corpus Domini in Bologna. It remains intact and never having decomposed for over 500 years. In the beginning, after they realized they could not place a body in the grave, four nuns would carry St. Catherine's body to the parlor on a wooden stretcher every time visitors came to view the body of the faithful or the faithful wanted to venerate the saint. This went on for 12 years. Then the nuns decided that the faithful could view her better if she was seated on a chair. To their amazement, her body, which had lost none of its suppleness, rigor mortis, never having set in, became stiff, and the nuns could not place her in the chair. It was only when the abbess ordered her to did Catherine, out of obedience, sit unaided in the chair and in the same position she can be found in to this day. From the very beginning, St. Catherine's miracles and fame have brought people from all parts of the world, not only the simple, faith-filled believers who fill and enrich our beautiful church, but also future saints, kings and queens and scholars, among the first to come was Queen Isabel of Naples, who venerated our saint and then left her ring as a token of her affection. She was followed by popes, one of whom was Pope Clement VII, cardinals including Charles Borromeo, who gifted her with a precious vestment, emperors, princes, and all kinds of personages. Pope Clement VII granted permission to celebrate Holy Mass in honor of St. Catherine on March 9th, which became her feast day. We thank you for being with us. We love you. God bless you. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here's how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply 
with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.